Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game-based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. Minicoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out Minicoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Minicoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Minicoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, my guest is Dr. Frank Sorrentino. Frank received both his Ph.D. and master's degree in politics from New York University and has spent time on the faculty of New York University, Long Island University, and Keene College. Frank is the author of several books on the presidency and the federal bureaucracy, including Presidential Leadership and the Bureaucratic State, Ideological Warfare, Federal Bureau of Investigation's Path Toward Power, and his latest book, Presidential Power and the American Political System. And I'm so glad to have him with me here today to lend his expertise and perspective on the recent raid of Mar-a-Lago by the FBI. So, Frank, welcome to the show. It's great to be with you. This raid on Mar-a-Lago, even the Associated Press is describing it as unprecedented. And, of course, former President Trump's supporters characterize it as a sea change shift that's been ongoing in the FBI from being this apolitical law enforcement agency to a more politicized institution. So I have a two-part question for you to start. Number one, is this actually unprecedented? And number two, is that characterization accurate that the FBI has become more politicized over the last, let's say, seven or eight years? Well, it is unprecedented on two counts. One, Donald Trump is a former president, but secondly, he is potentially the nominee of the Republican Party in 2024. But we could also add that other candidates in the past were not raided, if you will, had search warrants for the compulsion of uh, materials. So I think that's a critical change, a sea change. But I would say that the FBI has always been somewhat political. I think in the Hoover days, it was very, very political, but not so much on a partisan level, but on an ideological level. So given that that's true, that there's always been a political aspect to the FBI, how did it influence elections, if it did at all, 
and interact with presidents whose politics it didn't agree with in the past, as opposed to raiding their houses? Well, let's first go to the most significant president that used the FBI, and that was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Uh, While he was president, his aide Hopkins and Stephen Early uh, would routinely send critics that wrote letters or contacted the FBI or even the White House to the IRS for audits. So that was clearly done. In addition, Roosevelt was very much anti-communist and anti-fascist. So uh, we see a lot of activities of the FBI on both the counterintelligence program, but also the anti-fascist program that they had leading up to World War II. People were labeled even when they maybe said something nice about Mussolini or they said something nice about Germany. So uh, it became a very, very critical activity. Now, Roosevelt is one of the key individuals, but Lyndon Johnson was very much involved with the FBI. Certainly during the 1964 Atlantic City Convention, the FBI was engaged in walkie-talkies with the different groups with the Mississippi Democratic Party, trying to disperse them, trying to have them disorganized. And clearly we see that that activity was quite significant. We also know that particularly during the Vietnam War, the FBI was engaged in what we sometimes call volunteering of information, that the bulk of the activity of the anti-war movement was pro-communist. And while some of that stuff may be true, A lot of it wasn't. And the FBI knew that by ingratiating Lyndon Johnson with the positions that he wanted to hear, that that would certainly help the FBI in getting the things that they wanted. The FBI, let me just add this one point, the FBI is more interested in power than it is ideology. Ideology is sometimes used to gain power. Yeah. So you mentioned two Democratic presidents and what you described as more of the FBI kind of influencing the policy. Has there ever been a case like there was when Trump still was president where the FBI was so adversarial against the sitting president? Usually not. They may have been opposed to a president who didn't share their ideology or who didn't share the budget preferences that they had or the authority that they desired, but they were never covert against the president because part of their legitimacy was based upon executive power. So it was a difficult thing to balance. But in many instances, they didn't always do what the president wanted to do or delayed it. So clearly there were passive aggressive ways and then there were active ways. And what we're seeing with Trump is a very proactive anti-Trump policy. And when I think of Trump when he ran, and really, even while this was going on, while he was president, he seems like almost a throwback to a law and order conservative, somebody who talks about our wonderful police and our great secret service and FBI. What do you think is the basis for the hostility against him? I don't understand it. Well, that's a great question. One, Trump comes to office with probably the least amount of political experience. So I think he's talking about a bygone era that you are referring to. But one of the things that has happened is that there's been a sea change in American power. Uh, What we've seen is that Democrats have become, let's say, more advocates of the globalized economic system and political system. 
And the FBI began to realize that the Democrats not only became globalist, but they ended up getting the support of the major corporations, the universities, Hollywood, and all these groups, that they weren't so much anti-Trump because of the person of Trump, but the policies of Trump would jeopardize the political support system that the FBI had been based upon. And and you're talking uh, mainly about trade rather than foreign policy? Well, trade is one of it, one of the policies. The other areas are that there are other interest groups within the national arena. For example, the Defense Department and the FBI usually have a very good relationship the way the FBI had a great relationship with the IRS. So when Trump started to talk about ending wars or stopping endless wars, to use his phrase, struck a chord with the Defense Department that was going against their interests. So that was a critical area. There's another thing that I think we have to look at. The Occupy Wall Street was a significant event in the Wall Street history here. And I think they, they feared that they were becoming a minority, not so much in their wealth and, and power, but in terms of how the public perceived them. So the Wall Street became more. And what they did is they formed a coalition with some of the leftist groups and adopted, if you will, critical race theory, although that was probably in the embryonic stages. But what they were doing is realizing that the left was an important part. And if the left and Wall Street could have a coalition together, Wall Street interests and corporate interests would be more secure. So there are a whole group of things. And when Trump becomes anti some of these social policies, it's also threatening the corporate elite. Who are like the FBI, just acting in their own self-preservation interests. So again, not as much ideological. And that's very interesting. And I had, before we got on to talk, I had I watched one of your lectures and I think that it can't be emphasized enough is that a large bureaucracy, whether it's the FBI or the Department of Health and Human Services, you can't really evaluate them based on ideology. You really have to evaluate them based on almost being an organism that wants to grow and wants to survive. How else did Trump threaten their survival? Is populism itself just something that a large bureaucracy like that would fear? Yes. What Trump does is, in effect, he embodies populism. And that populism activates large populations of people who may have been the the industrialized work, people who are on the other side of trade policies. So all of those things, plus the social policy, threatens the alliance with the leftist groups. And he, he put themselves in a position. I mean, we certainly know the expression, the smelly Walmart shopper. That was emblematic that these are people that were mostly passive for a long period of time. And they have now become active in the political arena because their lives have have changed significantly. And when the schools become more, let's say, woke, for lack of other expressions, they feel that they're losing their grip on American society. And I believe this is a really significant fact. When you attack 
the alliance that the FBI had of Wall Street, corporate ed- headquarters, what we would say the universities, what we would say social policy, the FBI felt it was obligated to satisfy their constituents. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you're enjoying the content here on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can support my efforts here a couple of ways at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. You can join my Patreon for as little as $3 per month and get machine transcripts to every episode and access to my members-only MeWe group, while all access patrons also get my paid subscriber-only articles and videos, or you can become a VIP patron to get all of that, plus access to all of my online courses and a signed copy of the Tom Mullen book of your choice. Now, if you prefer Substack, I also post my paid subscriber-only content there. Find links to all the ways you can support the show at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. Become a supporter of Tom Mullen Talks Freedom today. And now let's get back to our episode. So now we have the Department of Justice getting involved, and I don't know what's going to come of this. Do you see this as something that they really pursue to the end and try to get a prosecution and a conviction? Or is this all political maneuvering that at some point they'll just kind of let fade away? That's a great question. I I really don't know because the process is part of the problem. When someone has their reputation destroyed or someone is accused of a federal crime, in Trump's case, he may not worry about the financial cost, but the political cost could be significant. And so they may not have to go all the way. You know, we could talk about Flynn, you know, where uh, he was bankrupted. They threatened for him to go and they're going to indict his son. All these kinds of things make people weak and then sometimes volunteer information. So if you charge Trump, even if you don't convict him, there are many, many people who have committed minor transgressions who might be offered inducements. But even if it doesn't get that far, it's just an indictment uh, and then it's dropped. You could do enormous harm to any political candidate. And they have been doing that since the Steele dossier, where, uh, you know, whether we're talking about the P-tape or we're talking about collusion with Putin, those things have an eroding factor on any political movement or candidate. You've written so much about the president and the bureaucracy through history. And so we'll link to those books, of course, on the show notes page to this. The idea to me, the way we learn it in civics class in high school is that Here's the Constitution. The executive branch has an elected president and the president chooses this cabinet with Washington. It was only, I think, five people. That's how it started. 
And the people in the cabinet follow the orders of the president. If they have to hire staff to go out and, and actually execute the laws, that's what they do. But somewhere along the line, this idea that people who work in the executive branch should be independent of the president. In other words, and then the veneer here would be like, well, law enforcement's got to be unbiased. And if the president does something wrong, they got to investigate them. But that's not really how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to be that they all follow the orders of the president. And if he gets out of control, then the Congress can impeach him. Where in our history did this independence idea start? Is this something post-World War II or before that? Before that, in the Woodrow Wilson's administration, Woodrow Wilson believed in a very powerful executive. And he believed that the Congress was mostly incapable of dealing with most issues. So he wanted a government by experts, and he gave the impression that government could be, but the people in these organizations have biases, and not only biases, but interests. So that becomes critical. And if these agencies are making critical decisions affecting interest groups, whether they're economic or social, then people are going to try to influence those organizations. And they become under the control of either the congressional subcommittee nominally in charge or the interest groups and becomes that iron triangle where sometimes the president is more a participant or observer to most of the activities that are going. The bureaucracy becomes more and more powerful. And there's where a guy like Trump, who was probably believing in the civics course that he took, which we don't offer anymore that he was actually in charge. I would make a comparison. I know people won't like it, but Jimmy Carter also believed that, that he was in charge. And what he realized was that these bureaucracies were very independent and sometimes embarrassed the presidents by leaking information or not being prepared to act decisively or not having the capacity to act in the way that they wanted. So I think it's a uh, an evolution. And I'm not so sure it's a positive evolution because if people are advocating democracy, it's very hard to have democratic accountability of many of these bureaucracies, which are very, very powerful, including the FBI. Yeah. And it seems that even in recent elections, if you're the president, you get elected and pretty much agree with the way things are being run. So somebody like a Barack Obama had you know, his health care plan he wanted to get through. But I don't think there was any real resistance from the bureaucracy for that, because that's a whole new thing to administer. Then you can get elected and you can have a successful presidency. It's where you don't just sit in the chair and let most of these 4 million people do what they've been doing for the last 20 years, that you have a problem. Absolutely. A, a progressive president like Barack Obama or Joe Biden, he's giving more money and power to these organizations. Let me give you an example where sometimes it appears that they're going along with the status quo. But someone like George W. Bush, you know, he started out talking about humble foreign policy. He talked about the military operating under certain rules. And what he ultimately found out was that the CIA and the Department of Defense operated sometimes contrary to his wishes. And I don't think he was a strong enough man to fire. I mean, fired Rumsfeld after the disaster of 2006 in the congressional elections. But for the most part, he let things go. 
And uh, when the Department of Education was promoting, let's like, didn't call it critical race theory, but progressive thinking on education, he was mostly unaware of it uh, or didn't make it one of his priorities, uh, especially after 9-11. Uh, so I think he let a lot of things go. But Trump was a different character. He wanted to change and he thought he could change. And of course, we saw almost all of his conversations were leaked, even with foreign leave. They tried to get every bit of information when he was talking to Zelensky. He had, if you want to call it a little dramatic, but a fifth column in his National Security Council of people spying on him, including Colonel Vidman and and old ultimately a lot of others, Fiona Hill and what have you. So they were appointed by him and they didn't necessarily want him to succeed because their goals were different than his goals. I know this is impossible to answer for sure, but if you had to take a guess, what if somebody else with Trump's platform I guess like a Ron DeSantis ended up in the White House. Is it more of the same? I mean, I guess what I'm the reason I'm asking is Trump's personality, of course, is just you love him or you hate him. Could a Ron DeSantis go in there and try to implement some of the same policies or is it going to be the same result with him? It's it's a great question. I think Ron DeSantis is more of a politician and most politicians are going to pick and choose what their battles are. Give you an example. When people were kneeling at the NFL games and Trump got involved with that, I don't think you'd see DeSantis in those things. He would husband his political strength better, in my judgment. So Trump is a different character, a different personality. And some of it gives him power because people see him as someone who's truthful, even though his career hasn't been one of two, you know, but as a presidential candidate, as president, he spoke to that constituency. I think someone like DeSantis would run against a lot of opposition, but he wouldn't have as many oppositions because he will choose not to fight. And those groups would not necessarily be enlisted in the battle again. So I think he could be more successful in that regard. But can he energize the base the way Trump can? Can he raise the money as Trump can? Can he give the the hope that people that Trump gives by believing that he's going to be the populist? He's going or see or, or DeSantis will be viewed as just another politician who's made plenty of promises and may not maybe accusing him of being a, a George W. Bush. <laughs> Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you like to read books as much as I do, there comes a time when you realize you just won't ever find the time to read every book you're interested in. Well, I have great news. Blinkist offers the key ideas from nonfiction bestsellers in as little as 15 minutes. For most books and their extensive library, you can choose to read or listen to Blinks, which summarize the main ideas and allow you to absorb whole books in the time it takes to run your daily errands or commute to work. Not only does Blinkist allow you to glean the information you need from books you don't have time to read, it helps you to decide which ones to spend time reading and get more details. You can try out Blinkist for free and get 20% off your first year by going to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist. 
spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist. Start your free trial and get 20% off today. And now let's get back to the show. How could I think about love with a girl like you? Sometimes just my own personal political beliefs, DeSantis worries me because while he's anti-establishment at the state level, he seems to talk a lot like an American foreign policy insider when the subject of China comes up or the subject of Russia or Iran. And that just could be, look, you know, I'm just towing the line here with my party for now. Since I'm governor, it doesn't really matter what I say. But I think that Trump was very interesting in terms of the foreign policy. And the one thing that I remember, and I don't know how much this was his personal wishes or how much he got kind of steered into this whole confrontation with Iran. But at one point, if you remember, they wanted him to bomb Iran after they shot down an unmanned drone. And Trump just came out there. And for the first time in my life, a president said something reasonable like, well, it's an unmanned drone. I'm not going to kill 150 people over this. That's probably the most revolutionary thing any president in my lifetime said, because I think every other president would have just said, all right, go ahead and do it. And certainly that was the recommendation. And right. many people in the Defense Department were shocked that Trump would not go along with that policy recommendation. Uh, but it does reveal that Trump makes his own decisions, but sometimes to his own peril, because he alienates groups. If he went along with that, maybe he wouldn't have had as much opposition from the Department of Defense. Certainly, you know, we could talk about people like Mattis. You know, Trump wanted the Defense Department to send troops to the border, and Mattis didn't want that. Also, to defer money or reprogram money from the Defense Department to building the wall, which was another big deal. So I think, because remember, every dollar, every billions of dollars that you take away, there's an interest group that supports that money. (laughs) And so they're not happy with a lot of these things. And you know what? Paul Ryan, who is the Speaker of the House, and normally, you know, the Prime Minister during Trump's first two years, never put the money in the budget for Trump's pet project. And what a, he would have suffered a great credibility crisis if he didn't build a wall. But he had wars within the Republican Party and wars within the bureaucracies, even some bureaucracies that might have been somewhat favorable disposed. He made more enemies than that he could handle. Yeah, I think there are plenty of times that if he wanted to get his main agenda accomplished, he probably shot himself in the foot. And it's just the, the way he is. Again, no points off for being wrong because no one can predict the future. How do you think this turns out for Trump and his candidacy post this raid? Well, that's certainly the ultimate question. Uh, did the Department of Justice, the Merrick Garland, the Christopher Ray, did they take a gamble that's going to be a great retrenchment? You know, I don't know because it depends on what they find. I think on taking a search warrant for the Records Act, doesn't preclude them from gathering information that they may believe is relevatory towards January 6th. So that's a real, you know, subterfuge, I I would guess, even though it's not illegal, courts uh, or the FBI has done that in the past. Police departments do that all the time. 
Trump has been investigated more than any single human being in American history. Are they going to find that smoking gun? You know, I hope they kill Pence. I mean, I've issued the order. <laughs> I'm not so sure that that's going to be there. And if if there was something like that, it would not be through. It would be through someone who works with Trump. You know, we would say anything like a, a Roger Stone kind of character, a Steve Bannon kind of character who you could never make. You could make the political connection, but could you make the legal connection? So I, I think that Merrick Garland has really gambled on this and it may to be to his own peril. But I think he's not a not a very good politician. You know, I mean, Michael Cordona on education receives notice from the NEA that some of the principals and supervisors feel threatened by parents. And he goes along and contacts the Justice Department that we should define them as domestic terrorists. I mean, where's the perspective that Colin has? And so I think he's become a liability, not because he's not doing what Biden wants, but he's not offering any buffer and any feedback where this could not necessarily be beneficial to Biden or the, the administration in general. Well, it's going to be an interesting year and a half, I think. Who knows where we're going to be even by the end of this year. Frank, I appreciate the time you spent here. And again, we'll link to these books. The last one that you wrote, Presidential Power and the American Political System. And I know that there's quite a bit on the FBI in there. What do you have planned after this? And where can people find more of your work? My website, where I do lots of interviews, and I'm also doing articles. I have a blog there. So drdrfrankmsorrentino.com would be a good place, and also to find out my recent lectures. I'm working on another book that's the transformation of the political system of how interest groups have become more unified on the elite level. The American system was always based upon competition among elites, ambition against ambition, both on the government and the interest group level. So I think something needs to be stated that we're now seeing a more cohesive elite than we've ever seen before. So, and that's going to affect the presidency, it's going to affect the Congress, it's going to affect American society. Very interesting. Well, look forward to that. We'll link to your website and your books. And again, thanks so much for spending this time with me. It was a great pleasure, Tom. I hope to see you again. All right, friends, that's going to do it for today. Just a few reminders to stop by TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support and check out all the ways that you can support my efforts here, including joining my Patreon or my Substack. And if you haven't already, make sure that you go to itsthefedstupid.com to download a copy of my free ebook, It's the Fed Stupid. And as always, if you like the music you've heard here on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at tommullensings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.